listening to Soft Skills 101, Life Skills for Digital Age, sponsored by the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network and True North Homeschool Academy. True North offers live online classes, small clubs, ebooks, and more. You can find us on truenorthhomeschoolacademy.com. Hello, everyone. This is Lisa Nearing with True North Homeschool Academy. We're beginning our fourth month of podcasting on soft skills, and it's been a challenging, growth-filled adventure. More and more, I'm convinced about the importance of soft skills and our need to teach them to our children with as much intention and forethought as we do math, science, English, history, and even tying their shoes. Of course, I believe soft skills prepares our kids for academic, relational, and vocational success. But as I've studied in preparation for this weekly series, I actually see a spiritual side to soft skills as well. We might think of soft skills as the polish or finish on something beautiful, like buffing a wood floor after we've refinished it. But soft skills, in my opinion, are far more important and integral to a person than that. Soft skills are the beautiful fragrance you find when you meet a person of quality, regardless of how many rough edges they might have. In this episode, I want to talk about story stealers, wide-eyed wondered, and soft skills. I recently came across someone who had stolen a story. A vignette, really. A simple childhood story that proved their point and pointed the direction towards them. They told it and claimed it as their own. They placed themselves in the role of protagonist and erased the real owner. It probably wasn't malicious, but it blotted out a memory. The original person, who was part of the story, didn't even exist in the new story. They'd been eradicated. It's common enough. We tell each other stories. We share bits and pieces of other people's lives, hurts, mistakes, sin, and even despair. Occasionally we share the glimpses of good we see in others. But in my experience, it is often the trips and falls, the painful twists and turns we share far more than the victories and the souls won and the joy experienced. I'm a storyteller, a writer, and a teller of stories, and I even teach how to read and write stories. Stories are a very basic part of who I am, and out of the thousands of stories I've read, I can say unequivocally that the very best stories are always married to truth. They might not necessarily be historically true, but they convey a truth. Stories that don't value the sovereignty of each person's life that spin, victimize or abuse, scandalize or defraud someone, aren't worth telling. In my economy, that includes everything from horror stories to gossip. As an aside, there's a fundamental difference between gossip designed to tear down and defraud and talking through a situation in order to understand or to strategize the best response. Recounting a delightful story or processing with a trusted friend or advisor is different than the deliberate tearing down of someone else. The Christian community often shuts down appropriate processing of conflict, strong emotion, even confusion, with the very genuine concern that the very telling of something is participating in gossip. But the very act of working through conflict is itself a Christian act. Avoiding conflict resolution that brings resolution is a flagrant disregard for the courage we're called to exhibit within Christian fellowship. As I say in each writing class I teach, which you can agree with or not, stories that aren't redemptive aren't worth writing and in my opinion, not worth reading either. One of my heroines, Dorothy Sayers, says, For we let our young men and women go out unarmed in a day when armor was never so necessary. By teaching them all to read, we've left them at the mercy of the printed word. By the invention of the film and the radio, we have made certain that no aversion to reading shall secure them from the incessant battery of words, words, words. They don't even know what the words mean. They don't know how to ward them off, or blunt their edge, or even fling them back. They're prey to words and their emotions instead of being masters of them 
in their intellects. Dorothy Sayers wrote that in a short essay, which you might be familiar with, called The Lost Tools of Learning. Our kids are surrounded by stories, but if we equip them to critically think about them, have we equipped them to refute false stories with truth? Some people make stealing stories into an art form, and I really don't mean that as a compliment. They're gossips and blasphemers, stealing another person's character, laying seeds of discord and doubt as they spin their stories. These stories are often based on feelings, selfish pride and ambition, sometimes shame. It might be the story stealer's way of getting back at someone, perhaps. Trashing someone's character and reputation is a serious offense against God. But in this digital age in which we live, it's more common than ever. Throwaway lines, hashtags even, tongue-in-cheek ridicule, mockery, as well as outright defamation of a person are everyday occurrences on social media. Not good, says the master of the universe. This week I was interacting with a friend of mine I've known over 36 years, and I was reflecting on sweet memories of that time when I'd first met her and actually Jesus. I knew who Jesus was before then, but I didn't take him very seriously. I had a conversion experience where I came a specific time and place where I met Jesus, repented of my sins, committed to follow him as Lord and Master, and I heard him speak to me through scriptures, was guided and directed specifically and purposefully in prayer, and it was clear to me that the only real thing in this life was about running after him. I devoured scripture and read through the Bible a few times in several months. Isaiah 6, 8 was purposeful and real to me. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who shall go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. I underlined, highlighted, and was overcome with longing to go wherever he might send me. I trusted him implicitly and was eager and hopeful. This all led to my marrying my husband breaking my vow that I'd never get married or marry a psychologist, having five kids, breaking my vow of never having kids, moving to California, breaking my vow of never living in California, and so much more. I might be a slow learner, but I've quit making vows, even though the above-mentioned ones were good ones to break. And for the past three and a half decades, we've gone. We've moved, traveled, packed up. We've gone to overcrowded megatropolises, as well as very remote locations. We've created programs, events, started Bible studies, prayed, called people out of the blue, and walked an interesting and unique path. Homeschooling has been part of it all, and one of the unique paths we've walked is a direct result of the prompting of Isaiah 6-8. But it hasn't been without a cost to pay. Sometimes we've been resented. People have been jealous and mean-spirited. We're human, and we've made mistakes. The grace that abounds in the eyes of Jesus isn't so readily found in the eyes of others. Following Jesus costs the way of suffering, and those who tell you something else are just trying to sell you something. Some of the costs have been manageable and bearable, and some have been heartbreaking and caused us gut-wrenching pain that doesn't remit. My husband and I, fallible man and woman that we are, have failed in odd and obvious ways and succeeded as well. We've walked out the orders that we prayerfully considered and lived with as much integrity and faith and courage as we've had to muster. Some days, months, and years, we've faltered, weary, and battle-worn, our efforts to encourage others to live with integrity have cost us, and they've cost our family. In the midst of the challenges, we've become battle-fatigued. Have you ever been there, just beat and bloodied and wearied, and more than anything, tired? Tired of the thin Christian culture that permeates many churches and certainly Christian radio? It seems like the main point of much of American Christian culture is just to pep you up. When you're exhausted and weary and bleeding from a heart wound or a thousand little cuts or both, 
Getting pepped up, which under normal circumstances could be considered insulting, is so inconsequential it's not even worth bothering with. That wide-eyed wonder, that joy in being in the presence of the great I am, it feels more like desperate clinging some days, more like I'm hanging on because I've put my trust in you. If you're not real, everything was for naught. What does this have to do with soft skills and story stealers? This week I read a story someone claimed was theirs, but it wasn't theirs. It was my husband's. It was a story from his childhood, and it was his memory that they said was theirs. It's a cute story. There's no real harm in someone else telling it, of sorts. But in stealing my husband's story, they're publicly erasing my husband's claim on something that by rights belongs to him. In claiming it for their own, they slighted truth, dismissed my husband, and altered history. While truth stands, they cause doubt in their own minds and in the minds of others. The whole point of soft skills is to establish a lifestyle of determining and living by truth. Stealing a story is deceitful, and it might seem like no harm, no foul kind of thing, but in stealing someone else's story, you're basing your own life on lies and fiction. That tears at the fabric of your integrity and leaves you less of a person. Stealing a story disregards the other person and is ultimately disrespectful. In stealing someone else's story, you ignore the fact that they were there. You erase them from memory. Isn't that what every conquering despot has done throughout time? Erase the names of those they disregard? Story stealing is fundamental compromise of integrity and a fundamental compromise of respect. This gets to the heart of the self-identification movement. The whole idea that I determine my identity based on a bad day, a feeling, a conviction, is a basic contradiction of all that Judeo-Christianity is. God creates us. We come into this world with a gender and an ethnicity. We're born into a specific time, place, and space. It's not a mistake. God doesn't do oopsies. The Holocaust, too, is one of the great tragedies of history. It's about the father of lies stealing millions of stories, thwarting life and bringing death and destruction to entire people groups, families, and countries. Story stealers are dangerous because they take something, which means they're doing what they're not supposed to be doing, and they're not allowing the other people to do and be what they are supposed to do and be. God redeemed the stories in the lives of those who were lost in the Holocaust, as he always does. God is faithful to protect his story, his grand, sweeping, amazing story, as well as the stories of those who put their trust in him. There are two great sins in this life. The first is not doing what you're called to do, deserting your duty, or being faithless because you don't have the chutzpah to embrace the wonder as well as the suffering. Esau is a quintessential example of this. Not only does he sell his birthright and reject the calling of his role, he marries Hittites who practice adultery and pagan worship. The result can be found in Genesis 26, 24 through 25. His life, progeny, and parents suffer as a result of his careless disregard for what he was created and called to do. The second great sin in life is doing what is not yours to do, taking someone else's place, right, name, duty, or story and claiming it for yourself. Jacob the usurper comes to mind. He participates in deceit by stealing his brother's birthright and role. The result was that he was forced to wander far from home for 20 years and was dealt with similarly as Laban steals the love story of Jacob and Rachel, causing Leah, Jacob, and Rachel and their offspring untold grief. Is it a coincidence that one story stealer is deceived by another story stealer? Is it a coincidence that God redeems the story through Joseph, Isaac's grandson, 
where he turns generational deceit and storytelling into redemption for the known ancient world and restoration for his family? I don't think so. The point again of soft skills is to teach our kids whose story is whose, how to respect each other's story and regard truth as something to be valued, protected, and honored. To be people of the book, the ultimate story, we must read the book, seek and search for understanding and live it out. We must also teach our kids the importance and power of storytelling. Soft skills training is not meant to put a polished veneer on a crap character. Soft skills come from our character, and training our kids about soft skills and how to use them will train their character and hopefully cause them to delight in goodness, truth, and beauty. Soft skills training is really about pointing our kids' character to the one character who is holy, true, and beautiful. Truth in the person of Jesus Christ, who is all goodness and all beauty, and the ultimate soft skills persona. I hope you join us this coming month as we're going to be talking about the soft skill of work ethic. We have some great guest speakers this month, and we're excited to share with you more soft skills coming up from True North Homeschool Academy. Mm-hmm.